In a world of podcasts about movies, sci-fi, TV, and podcasts about sci-fi, TV, and movies, two women chose to add their voices to the fray. Two sisters. One woman was willing to go to any length to explain away plot holes and bad pacing. I don't think, first of all, much like the entirety of this film, I don't think we're supposed to ask a lot of questions. The other, though, had no such sympathies. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. Together, they joined forces to highlight the good, the bad, and the truly bizarre. This is See You Next Week in Space. So, this week, we watched a bit of a puzzler, and (laughs) we'll get into that soon enough, but the question I wanted to kick off with is, Amy, do you think that you would not enjoy going to prison, like being in prison? Do you think, wait, hold on. The question is, do I think I would not enjoy prison? Correct. <laughs> um, yeah, I do think I would not enjoy it. Now, with that said, like, that's my, like, final answer. However, mm-hmm. I have thought about it. Like, <laughs> are there parts of it that I feel like I could get on board with? And the answer is, like, probably yeah, which is weird. But... I could get on board. <laughs> in my mind, I feel like something that I would do if I were in prison, because it's so much of, like, killing time mm-hmm. and there's, like, literally nothing to do, mm-hmm. I feel like I could get in, like, ridiculous shape. Okay. So I, there, the part, like, so my, part of my, like, <laughs> body-hating self, that is, like, ooh, that's, that part's a little alluring. Okay. Um, I'm, like, I, I could look awesome in prison I could just get jacked um well and also because the food pretty much wouldn't everything be else, very good so yes that would be and helpful. that which is that would be definitely helpful <laughs> and also terrible at the same time Correct. Yeah. um because the food when I get hungry <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm I'm not the nicest person so I feel like I might get in like prison fights and just be like because I'm like hangry (laughs) um (laughs) and then I would just get like more time added on it could get bad I feel like um yeah so no I would not enjoy it it's very boring you lose I'm also a very like private person Mm. so you have to shower in front of people you have to like piss and shit in front of people that would be, like, a huge struggle for me. Sure. Um, as, I mean, I imagine most people. Yes. Um, it's it's all sounds pretty bad. And at the same – and also, I do feel like – and this is maybe weird to say. Because I'm a woman, I feel a little less afraid of it because I do feel like women's facilities are less scary. Possibly. But – but that's also me not knowing anything about prison. Yeah. Um, and just, like, imagining Orange is the New Black in my yes. head. Um, <laughs> so, no. The answer is no. What if it <laughs> were a 
fancy prison like as depicted here. Yeah, that's a different story because I was thinking as I was watching this, would I mind? Like, this isn't so bad. Um, this one definitely I could get on board with in another way. Because this I one you'd think, have your own home. Yeah, it doesn't feel, yeah. It's, and you'd be in a place by the seaside. Yeah, it's a very cute little town. I will say, like, or fake town or whatever it is. But, like, the only part that I think just the mind, the mind fuck of it would be, like, you're not allowed to go anywhere else. Right. Or, like, you can't leave. Um, so I think that part would be tough for me. Yeah. Yeah. Again, the losing of the autonomy part is is the tough part about anything that's, like, even if the prison was, like, a palace, you know? Right. Well, yeah. I mean, that is, at the end of the day, the reason why prison should be bad. And I think there's an argument for prison reform to say that, like, just by virtue of you're not being able to leave, then it is already a prison. And so it doesn't need to maybe be quite as bad on the inside. Right. As um, people seem to like to make it sometimes. Right. Um, And that's certainly what this show kind of functions on, which is the very notion of um, an inability to leave, an inability to escape is bad enough. Um, and it is, yeah, that is the worst part of it. I mean, really, I mean, obviously modern day prisons have made like every part of it the worst part almost. Right. Well, and certainly in the U S for sure. Yeah. Extra that. I feel like there are other places where prisons are even scarier. Oh, I mean, yeah, there are prisons where prisons are also pretty bad, but like, um, like I wouldn't want to be in prison in North Korea or something, well, you know what no, I'm saying? no, 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 definitely not there. <laughs> um, but like definitely also the U S has certainly one of the worst prison systems as well. Um, yeah, like there's been a lot of discussion of like, if somehow Trump were to end up having to be held at Rikers at some point, Oh my God. Um, like Rikers is I truly disgusting. Well, there are, well, the, well, I think, and it's, like, it's the notorious one in the States, the, you know, because it's services, uh, a big crime-ridden city like New York. Well, and, but, and um, they also, like, actively have not made any kind of physical improvements to the building. Like, mm. um, that's the whole thing is, like, I'll take like a poured concrete block as long as it doesn't have like black mold and constantly smell of like bodily fluids. Um, Oof. But like Rikers is bad in that way too. Like, so it's like everything yeah. sucks. Um, but so on. It's really bad. We were just really quick. We were on a, we were on a plane once where we were, we were landing and I heard a guy behind us talking on the phone and he was talking loudly, which I thought, like, I was like, dude, I feel like you could talk a little quieter. But I was interested, so I listened. And he was like, yeah, yeah, we've got the prisoner. We're coming to Rikers right now. Oh, we just landed, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I was like, wait, what the fuck? And um, <laughs> then, then I 
as we were getting up, I like kind of looked behind. I felt kind of bad though because they were in like the very last row of the plane and this poor like prisoner guy looked very young and you know, he, like, I couldn't really tell if he had like full on handcuffs on, mm. but they, like he was wearing a big jacket so you couldn't really tell. Yeah. But like that poor guy's like going over to Rikers and we're all just like getting off the plane at uh, JFK being like, woohoo, we're home. Yeah. I don't know. It was a little bit sad. No, that... Like we're saying, it would not be pleasant to be no uh, a prisoner. Which brings us to welcome <laughs> to see you next week in space. I'm Sarah Walsh, and I'm here with my sister and co-host Amy Walsh. So, Amy, why don't you reveal what we're talking about this week? We're talking about a show called The Prisoner, mm-hmm. um, which was a series. I guess Mm -hmm. that aired from 1967 to 1968 specifically the episode that we watched is called arrival which was the pilot episode and it originally aired in september of 1967 yes and this is canadian it's a british show question mark it's a british Mm. show and it it was designed as many things both then and now in british stuff are to just be one season like it's just a limited series Mm. Um, yeah. And so it, for some reason that I couldn't quite figure out why, uh, they, it's all produced in the UK. They premiere it in Canada first on the 5th of September. And then a few weeks later it premieres in the UK. And then a few months later it premieres in the U S. Um, So that's why I think also it's 67 to 68 because, like, depending on that staggering, um, oh, like, yeah. it, oh, so it was literally only one season. Yeah, because I think it's only, let okay. me remind myself here. Um, yeah, it's only 17 episodes. Um, I mean, it kind of makes sense. I guess you could expand it to, but. I like shows that have very, like, specific premises that, you know, you're like, this is only going to go so far. We can't, like, extrapolate forever on this idea. Well, and that is, I think, one of the issues that has plagued certain types of shows um, where their first season has a really good, like, hook to it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then they wrap that thing up by the end of season one, which mm-hmm. was their plan. And then it's like, oh, now we have a hit mm-hmm. show. What do we yep. do? Once Upon a Time comes to mind. Once for Upon me a Time a like was a show like that. Riverdale to me is a show like that. Um, Twin Peaks is I was a show worried about, like that. Um, I was worried about The Good Place with that right. myself because I was like, I don't know how they're going to make this go. Right. But then um, they ended up, and I, it made it work. I mean, obviously, it goes a little bit, yeah, <laughs> a little bit off the rails, I guess you could say. But it's a show that I think, if it were another kind of um, premise, because it was so popular, I think they might have gone more seasons. But because the premise is so specific, they're like, we got we to gotta cut this. Off. Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. In this case, the premise, according to IMDb, is as follows. After he resigns, a secret agent is abducted and taken to what looks like an idyllic village, but is really a bizarre prison. His warders demand information. He gives them nothing. He only tries to escape. Um, so I think as well, my I didn't watch more episodes of this, but 
Um, I'm mm-hmm. inferring that pretty much every episode probably involves him making attempts. Is just to him. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm curious that if he ever takes off his black suit. Well, by the end, they or at some point in the show, they like take his clothes from the outside oh. world and put him in, like oh, clothes into that, from their their yeah clothes that fit that their scene little prison world a bit okay. better yeah yeah um okay maybe I missed that part well I don't think it was like super important but I have as soon as you said that I was like <laughs> I remember them saying something about how they'd given him clothes because he looked very out of place oh most I of remember the time. One it, like, what it is is after he goes to the hospital. They're, he's like, where are my clothes? Oh, okay. And they're like, oh, we got rid of them. You have to put these on instead. Oh, okay, okay. Um, I forgot that. Or <clears throat> but then, attention. but going back to what we said, like, I could be engaged in watching someone escape probably as many as 17 times. But after a while, <laughs> it, it would get it gets old, tedious. Um, yeah. So... This particular show features an actor called Patrick McGowan. Um, He is the prisoner. Um, And he, at the time, was quite famous both in the UK and in North America um, because he had been working on a show called Danger Man. Um, Ooh. Yeah, well, it was called Danger Man in the UK and Secret Agent in the US. Um, Okay. And I think that lasted for three or four seasons. Um, And supposedly, there's some debate about this. Uh, Patrick McGowan or one of the writers on Danger Man, George Markstein, or both of them together, came up with the concept of The Prisoner. Um, Mm. But it does, I mean, for our purposes, it doesn't really matter. Um, But there is quite a lot of debate about which one of them deserves credit as the primary creator of the show. Hmm. Um, and because uh, McGowan was in Danger Man, some people make the claim that the prisoner is actually kind of like further adventures of his character from Danger Man. Oh, I was going to say, I wonder if that's supposed to be connected. Mm, yeah. Interesting. Um, so he played a character called John Drake in Danger Man, who was a spy guy. And that mm. is implied here. Do we learn this guy's name in this? No, we never do. Okay, okay. Um, so whether or not he was the primary creator, um, McGowan wrote and directed some of these episodes. Um, and he and because, I don't know if this was like kind of some sense of modesty or what, um, but because his name appeared so prominently already in the show, he would often, whenever he was writing or directing episodes he would use a pseudonym uh when he was doing Hmm. that um to me one of the more interesting things about this is that the village where he is um enclosed is a Hmm. real place in Wales I would like to go there yes it's a real place it's very cute they have a real they have two hotels there um and Hmm. I think it's pronounced the Port Marion Village. Um, Hmm. And so part of the, like, inspiration for the show was that McGowan had gone to that village and seen Mm. it. And I was like, oh, this would be a great spot for a show. Um, This particular... This would be a great spot to have a pretend 
yes. prison that somehow... That's also a village that like keeps people engaged. And it's funny that you mentioned the good place because I thought this village was very good placey in its way. Yes. Um, because the good place has like... I was thinking that this was very... Uh, I was thinking it seemed Mediterranean, which is not really Wales, but like... Um, well, because it's got all those, like, you know, Grecian-style, like, uh, columns and yeah, temples. Yeah, and by the sea. And, yeah. Yeah, and, like, the cobblestones and all of that. But, but yes, it did, it did also have a good place vibe. Yeah. Um, so this, the Port Marion Village was actually designed by Welsh architect and land design, landscape designer, um, Clough Williams Ellis. Mm-hmm. Um, who f- designed the place in kind of two phases. There was the first building phase from 1926 to 39, and then a second phase that ran from 1954 to 1976. Um, so this is shot kind of in the midst of that second phase. Um, and Clough Williams Ellis was one of the first people in the UK to be one of those proponents and advocates for... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Conservation um, and protecting mm-hmm. of British um, wildlife and landscapes and forests and these sorts of things. Um, but he also like believed in the notion of kind of like planned communities. This is pretty common for people who are architects and mm-hmm. landscape designers of that era that he was. Um, P.S. I just looked up Port Marion Village just on like Google Maps. It looks the yes, same as yes, from in this show. Yes, exactly. It's still very um, cute. And the hotel looks really cool. Um, and I would like to go there. I would go there place. for a few days for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be in prison there or anything, no, but like, no. yeah, no, it looks super well, cute. Well, now we have this plus the Dude Ranch for Hey Dude that we can do a tour of things we've talked about. <laughs> Um, I also thought this was interesting because I think I ran across this, um, there was a 2009 remake of this, um, Mm. with Jim Cavazil as the prisoner and Ian McKellen as number two. Um. Oh, interesting. And I do think I watched at least an episode or so of that because I don't know who Jim Cavazil is. He's but. the guy. He played Jesus in a movie and he's got like that very like one of those guys who looks quite gaunt and then his hair is quite dark uh brown and then his eyes are very blue. <laughs> That's all I can say. That is a very in- Okay, I'm going to look it up cuz that is a very interesting description. Um Okay. But yeah, I think I ran across that when but I never stuck with it. So when I when I watched this episode, it wasn't like I could use that previous knowledge in any kind of way. Um right. So, but this is considered to be a classic. Um it has it has elements of science fiction and fantasy. Um, and is referenced quite a lot by a lot of different things. Um, and so unsurprisingly, it has spun off into books and video games and comics. Um, and there have been kind of discussions about this being made into a film adaptation, um, but that has never actually come to fruition. Um, but maybe someday someone will come up with it. Um <laughs> 
And then the other thing to mention is that in this show, and I don't think this was true of the remake, but I can't remember. In this show, two is always played by different actors. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And two, I might have forgotten which one. I can't picture two that Two is basically one. like the jailer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so... In terms of the cast, this is like the least cast we need to know because the main person in every episode, presumably, is a character named Number Six, and that's played by 39-year-old Patrick McGowan. Um, McGowan was born in the U.S., uh, but his parents moved to Ireland when he was a child. Um so, in fact, he kind of made his career on both sides of the Atlantic uh, because... Did he have a British accent in this Well, show? that's the whole thing. He kind of did, the right? The description of him says that his his accent was like a kind of betwixt and between. Um, yeah. And so he... I sort of thought it was like that... Uh, it was this 60s, but I thought it was he was sort of like one of those people who had like maybe just a British affect. Hmm. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like they're yeah. like, I'm, I need to sound proper for this, yeah. so I'm gonna. Or like what would have been at the time, maybe it would have been carried over as um, what was it called? There was like, oh yeah, Mid Atlantic, uh, right? Diction, which was like what movies sounded like in the 30s and 40s. You know, where it was like meant right. to be kind of between both American and British English. Um, yeah, yeah, that's sort of what I thought. So that's was, what he what has happening. going on for him. Um, notably Danger Man slash Secret Agent was the first British show to really make a big break in the U.S. market Um, and probably played a big role in the subsequent kind of popularity of spy TV shows that would come afterward. Um, But McGowan himself felt that Danger Man was getting repetitive and he wanted to end it after three seasons. But if I remember correctly now, it went on for a fourth. And then basically Mm. the following year or so is when The Prisoner comes out. Hmm. Um, In terms of some things he's been in sub or he was in subsequently to this, um, he was in Scanners which we may watch at some juncture. Uh, he played... Uh, did we not watch... What did we watch? Did we watch something that was called... I thought that we that was called something like that. Probably. I know we haven't... Jumpers or... What's, what, sliders. Sliders. That's what it was. Yeah, we haven't sliders? watched Scanners. Yeah. I know we haven't watched Scanners because okay, there's okay. a very okay. specific scene that I'm remembering from Scanners that someday I will force you to watch and then we'll talk about it and you will not like it. <laughs> Um, oh, fantastic. <laughs> um, he also played um, an older Scottish king in Braveheart. And then he played oh. the judge in A Time to Kill. Um, and I've lately been in a bit of a 90s crime drama hole, but I've been saving okay. A Time to Kill for later. Is that one good? Yeah, as I recall, it's pretty good. It's got... Matthew McConaughey and Sandra Bullock and Samuel L. Jackson in it. Mm, so we just watched a Sandra Bullock one recently that was pretty good. Was it? I don't know if it was from the, the 90s. Net or Pelican it's, Brief. 
No, I don't know if this. Oh, it was. Oh, it was called Murder by Numbers. Oh, and it's her and Ryan Gosling. Interesting. I would watch that. Yeah, I think I think it's. I thought it was enjoyable. Yeah, I've been. <laughs> I watched. What have I been watching? I watched Copycat again recently, and Fallen, and um, Bone Collector. And I feel like these are have all been recommended to me on Hulu recently. And what's also, that? Like almost oh, all what's of those. that one with Richard Gere? Oh, Primal Fear. Like all that mm. stuff. <laughs> I've been really in a hole about it. Yeah, no, I like all that. Yeah, I find those are great for a Saturday or Sunday afternoon movie. Because yes. like they're a bit longish, but mm-hmm. they're not usually they're not more than two hours. And you're just yeah. like kind of like hanging out and they move really slowly, which is kind of nice. <laughs> you're just like, just let this wash they're, over well, they're, me. They're, <laughs> yeah. They're another good one. It's not like fully a napping type of movie, but it's like if I were to drift off, I could I could jump back right. in. Right. Or like and, I could just rewind yeah. it a bit back and then like start. From there. Yeah, like, or I could go about my chores yeah. if I needed to, but like I still have. Yeah, it's there. It's easy watching for, for sure. I, I at least yeah. I think. Um, the only other character that, well, there's the two actors who play number two, but the other person in in terms of who is responsible for driving the story along is just called the woman, and that's played by <laughs> a 31 year old Virginia Maskell, um, who. It seemed like was on her way to having a bit of a career when she started out, but um, she had a child in the early 60s and got severe postpartum depression from that. Um, And it Mm. seemed like, from what I gathered from her brief bio, she never really recovered from that, Mm. um, which unsurprisingly, like hurt her acting career I mean and it the way the way I was reading her bio suggested that like so she she gets married has a child and and perhaps what how do I want to say this like the bio made it sound like when she got married she decided she shouldn't act anymore that she was like focusing Mm -hmm. on her family and Mm -hmm. Then she has a child, she gets postpartum depression. Um, So basically, I guess this kind of goes back to what we were talking about in our production call, where, (laughs) you know, especially in that era, women were under the impression that like having a family and getting married was like the key. Was the only option. Well, like was the key to true satisfaction. And that, like, a career, even if you maybe quite loved it, would never compare and would certainly not give you the fulfillment that a family and a child, like a husband and a child would. And so, you know, I think in her case, I got the sort of feeling like she could have, of course, been married and had a kid and continued to work. And she probably still would have gotten postpartum depression. But... Right. Like maybe if her world hadn't collapsed so to be so small by the time she got postpartum yeah. depression, maybe there would have been a chance that things could have turned around for her. Um, yeah. But unfortunately, 
she ended up overdosing on antidepressants and getting into some kind of a car wreck in 1968. So she, like, basically, she shoots this and dies soon after. Um, Yikes. So, yeah, quite quite tragic. Um, In terms of just some names, uh, the two actors who play number two in this episode are guys named Guy Dolman and George Baker. And then there's another Mm -hmm. character who's important to the plot moving forward called Cobb, who's played by Paul Eddington. But, I mean, all of these people only kind of barely Mm -hmm. appear, in a sense. Um, So in terms of where we start here, as you said, this is the pilot episode of this show. And I've talked about this before. I try and avoid picking pilots for mm-hmm. when we talk about TV series. Um, but when I was reading about this one and making some choices, I was like, I think if I picked a different episode, we'd be extra confused. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> Yeah, I was confused enough already. I already felt like we started in the middle of something and it was the very first episode. Yeah, so I was like, in this case, we're just going to do the pilot because... Um, I like when I was reading the descriptions of other episodes, I was like, I think because because this one is very um, this is like a serial show. Right. So it's not. Yeah, um, it's not contained like so things that happen in previous episodes would get become important as things move on. And I was like, so considering the stylized nature of this show, I think like we gotta start at the beginning or else we'll just have no chance of understanding anything. (laughs) Um, Now, the credit sequence is meant to help us understand why number six is in the prison in the first place. Mm, I don't know that it did for me. (laughs) Well, it didn't fully for me until kind of a bit later in the episode. But what we see is we see number six driving in a fancy car through downtown London. Um, And he goes into like an underground bunker where like he walks through a pair of doors that say way out. So he walks into the exit doors. Um, And then we see him have a confrontation with somebody at a fancy office where in my handwritten notes, I write lots of thunder and fist shaking. Um, (laughs) And basically I had kind of forgotten this. Like, so he in the, so none of this is with words. It's all done like pantomime. And Mm -hmm. number six, like puts an envelope on the desk of the person that he's fighting with. And I can't remember if it even says on the envelope, like, letter, letter of resignation or whatever. But mm-hmm. that's what happens. He resigns from his post. And it's implied throughout the show that he was some kind of operative or government agent or spy or something. And mm-hmm. so... I have a question. Yeah. 
Have you ever gotten so angry, like the angriest you've ever been in your life at someone, something, a situation, whatever? Have you ever shaken your fists in the air? Um, or frustrated? You're so frustrated, or I think I have. In the really in the context of, I like when I was living in Idaho, like at somebody. No, when I was living in Idaho. Okay, and I forget if. It, would have been my first winter or my second winter there. Um, maybe my second winter, but it was a, a bad one. And mm. I had been away from real winter for quite a long time by that point. And I had to dig my car out to get to work. <laughs> and I had to like, you know, mm. when I was teaching... At Washington State, I always was like, I always had classes that started at 9 a.m. So like every time I had a class that started at 9 a.m., it meant that I had to like wake up at 6. And in wintertime, when you wake up at 6, it's like literally dark outside. And so you just have this morning that kind of sucks even when it goes perfectly. And then I like come down to like get my car and like they never canceled for shitty weather so you knew you were gonna have to go on and what always happened is like (laughs) the complex that I lived in the plow would like clear you know like the main plow you in yeah but then you'd have this big pile of snow behind your car yeah and I just remember at one point like so annoying using and of course I didn't have a shovel because like I didn't have a garage so where was I going to keep a shovel (laughs) so Uh, I literally... It keeps getting worse and worse, this story. Yeah, so, like, like, you clean your car off. You have to, like, clean it off of all the snow and the ice and the crap. And I remember at one point, like, using my, like, car brush to, like, create Mm. little paths so my wheels could pull out from this thing. And I was shaking my fist at the sky. Because it was the sky's fault. very... That's very dramatic. That's like very theatrical. I get, I get, my question, I get that. And like, that is a situation where I would be like beyond frustrated. I feel like my reaction would be a little different. But I was just curious because I do feel like the shaking of the fist in the air is, it just feels, again, very theatrical. Yes, like, it's, not something people do in real life. It's but peak, peak. Then again, <laughs> yeah, it's peak, peak. Like, it's peak, yeah. P I K E. P-I-Q-U-E, peak, peak, like yeah, yeah. where you're just like, I feel like no, I what I would have done in anymore. your situation. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like what I would have done in your situation or my impulse would have been to like fall in the snow <laughs> and just like cry. <laughs> there were times when I did that as well, but that particular day, <laughs> that's what I did. Yeah, I know. Um, mm-hmm. So in this case, when number six, storms out. So he does both the things that we all have already talked about, like shouting at your boss, shaking your fist at them, and then storming out. Oh man, he did it all. God, Um, fucking A. And being like, I quit this place. Boom, I'm out. Fuck you. Like he's like all all of that. Such a hero. And then then we see like um kind of an automated machine thing sequence where his photo gets X'd out, like his face has X's gone across it. <laughs> and then there's a file mm. that says resigned and then a 
computer, like a robotic arm puts the file into the resigned area. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will say as well, the other show, so this was giving me some good, fl- good place vibes. It was also giving me weirdly Austin Powers vibes. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, like the fancy car, he's driving. But like a serious version. Yes, a serious <laughs> version. Like I was like, there has, I yeah. can, t- there is obviously stuff that came from He probably this. pulled yes. from these types of shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, especially like the, like the fancy car driving through downtown London, the, the weird yeah. automation, um, which I had forgotten that that was like a late fifties, early sixties, well, really sixties kind of across the board thing of like having this weird automation, like gadgets. That's like, why have we automated this? Like, but at the time it was like, this mm. is the future. Everything's going to be automated. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but at the end of the credit sequence, um, number six gets gassed in his own home. And so where the show begins, we think he's waking up in his living room in London. But when he wakes up and mm-hmm. looks out the windows, he is in the village. Um, and so then we spend some time with number six, walking around this village, trying to ask people questions Um yeah, he's walking around a little bit like a chicken with its head cut yeah, off. Yeah, and he's really very rude to people um, as he's doing this. <laughs> um, he tries to call any place, like and on the phone, he tries to call any place outside of the village, which he can't do. Um, mm-hmm. He asks a woman in a taxi to like take him as far as she can go, uh, which goes basically which is like down the street nowhere (laughs) um and every person that he asks about like where they are or like how to get out doesn't it's like they kind of don't even seem to understand his question um or they blow right past it there's also a weird vibe that I couldn't quite get my head around where sometimes characters will speak in another language and yeah and then switch to english um and maybe later on in the season some of that gets explained as to why that's happening i was curious about Um, that too yeah but but at this point we don't really know um so for example like when he goes into the store which is kind of the next useful little portion of this the, the shop owner is speaking in some kind of other language at first to his first customer. And then when number six walks in, they switch to English, like over the course of the transaction. Right. And I was like, right. I don't know what that means. But like I said, maybe in a later episode, there's a reveal about what the purpose of that is. But um, when six is in the store, he's like, can I get a map? I want to see where I am. And the shop owner is like, we only have local maps here. Um, and Six is like, well, that's okay. That's fine. And when he looks at these, he has two different maps that the shop owner gives him. What Can you describe what like the map 
looks like. Yeah, it's the type of map that like I could actually read. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's pretty. Uh, what's the word I would use? It's pretty um, sparse. Yeah. I suppose, and it basically is like. <laughs> It shows it says like the mountains yeah. on one side, and then like the mountains over there, and has like a couple of streets and stuff, and um, also like at the bottom, it just says like your village, yeah, <laughs> as like the title of the map, yeah. And then like so, what we learn as well is that the village is surrounded by mountains on three sides and the ocean on the fourth, so you yeah. can't get out of here is the implication from that. Um, When Six returns to his home, um, he gets a call from number two. See, see, even number two, that's an Austin Powers joke. Yeah, I was, uh, yeah. And it's also sort of, it reminds me a little bit of that other... The spy show where she's uh, her name is ninety nine. Oh, get they have smart. Those numbers. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. one. Um, so number two calls up number six and says, "Why don't you come over for breakfast?" Six does. He arrives at number two's home. Number two has a servant, um, and <laughs> then like he also like seems to do business. In a circular, well, no, like a spherical room um, that has like like a... A control room of some kind. that has like a disco ball or like has like (laughs) a vibe of that. Like lights are flashing in a strange way. Um, Yeah. And then like two also, he's in a rotating chair. Like when six walks in... He's looking at like a control panel and this spherical room, and then someone's speaking to him. But then the ch- the, the egg shaped chair like slowly turns around <laughs> to reveal number two. Why, what is the deal? Which is also an Austin Powers thing. <laughs> like yes, well, I was gonna say like in general, like sort of in the '60s and specifically '60s sci-fi related stuff. What what is the deal with those egg chairs? I feel like they, they also have them a little bit in Men in they Black do. when they're doing that one scene. What is the deal with those? Those don't seem comfortable. And yeah. But I guess it's just because you can have fun with their turning around and revealing. Well, I mean, the egg chair, I mean, I think it's actually a two-part question that you're asking, which is, <laughs> one, why is there always this trope of like, I've got my back to you, even though I've invited you into my office, and now I'm going to dramatically yes. turn around. <laughs> like, there's yeah. that. And because, well, that, that's such a good question, because it's in, like, and that's not just a sci-fi thing. No. That's, like, everybody who's, like, has an office chair does that. But what it means every single time is that you go, Diane, please come in here. And then you turn your chair around to look at the wall or outside. Right. And then you turn dramatically... It's very And weird. also, if you're doing that dramatic turn, I think that how that actually becomes dramatic is that there's actually like a stage hand underneath you turning you slowly. Right, because you can't do it if, smoothly yeah, unless if you're you have doing a certain it with type your of chair. Own foot, like it's not going <laughs> to work. <laughs> like, 
Um, right. Well, because it depends on the type of chair and the type of swivel it does. Some might do them more smoothly, but otherwise your feet are, you look like Fred Flintstone. Right. Like. Yeah. yeah. Like the desk. Or, yeah. Like the desk has to cover your feet, that. first of all, like to even work. Yes. Um, yes. But so that's part one of the question, which is. I don't have the answer and probably someone underneath you is spinning you. Um, Yeah, no, there isn't an answer. It's just meant to be sort of like a power move. Yeah. And then as for the egg chair, like Mm -hmm. that was also just like the design appeal. Like that was the design aesthetic Mm. of that era, especially if you're talking about like this is high tech or futuristic or Mm. something. Um, and, and I don't know why, like, I think I've probably sat in one of those chairs and have you, uh, maybe not, I don't feel like like, they're comfortable. Like they're the kind of chair that like, if you were the size of a 12 year old, if you're a kid, correct. Cause then you can get your whole little body tucked in there. Correct. And it, that reminds me of the scene in Sleepless in Seattle mm-hmm. where Correct. what's your butt yeah. is in the chair. Yeah. Um, but as an adult, I don't feel it would be a particularly comfortable setup. No, because the because like the hard edge of it like would be if you're sitting up in it, the hard edge is gonna like cut into your leg. I, I mean, feel this like. is also just the problem with any chair for a person or persons of our size, which is if you sit at the back of the chair, then your <laughs> yeah, legs you, just I, legs are awkwardly dangling. Stick straight yeah. out because the bend of your knee <laughs> is like on where the seat is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I could do an egg chair that also had a, an extendo, like, reclining situation. Mm, mm. But just a straight-up seated egg chair is not for me. No, but this is this is what we've got here. So picture this. I mean, this is, this is, like, truly giving you all kind of, like, the cinematic drama of this. So number two spins around out of his egg chair. And... <laughs> He, ex- he offers number six some breakfast. The servant serves number six breakfast. Okay, wait. Can we really quick talk about that breakfast? It looked because, pretty good. Well, some of it did. And normally, like, food in shows, especially when they don't eat it, it drives me bananas. <laughs> and I don't think he ate this. Like, I really, like, there's some oof, I, that, drive me, that drives me crazy in shows. But... I think that bacon looked gross. Oh, I don't remember what the bacon looked like. I feel like I'm picturing the eggs, and that seemed fine. The egg looked the eggs looked fine, and the toast looked pretty good to me. But the bacon was like looked severely undercooked, in my particular mm, mm. opinion, and also very wide. Like oh, I don't well, know what shape British of bacon, bacon was happening there. They have oh, a type okay, of... Okay, then I won't hate on that. They have a type of bacon that in the States would probably be better described as ham. Okay, maybe then maybe it was not really... Maybe it, that's the way they cook yeah, it there and because, fine, but it looked weird to me. Because in Australia, they have that too. Like, I actually go to oh. a fancy butcher to get the bacon that I like, and the type of... Really? Yes, and the type of bacon... That you and I are used to. They have butchers there? Like an actual butcher shop? Yeah. 
Every place has a butcher. That seems like something out of the 60s. <laughs> well, they do dress, like, because it's also hipstery, they do dress like it's the 60s, where they've all got newsboy caps on and aprons and shit. Um, That's funny. Yeah, but, uh, no, I love butchers. They're my favorite. That sounds weird. Hmm. But, um, no, get a good, <laughs> get, if you're a meat eater, this is a bit of an advice from me to you. If you're a meat eater... You're better served by going to a butcher that is like near to you and probably paying a bit more money for whatever meat you get from them because it will be fresher and it'll be nicer. Um, And because it's more expensive, you might end up actually eating a bit less meat, which is also good. Um, Mm -hmm. But so what I've learned from this butcher and also just like shopping in Australia. So Australia has, you know, its British heritage and connections. And so what you and I call bacon, they call streaky bacon. And then they have a different thing of bacon that is more of this, like, kind of like, I forget what it's called. Like a sheet of bacon? It's like ovular-ish, like a small little Mm. oval that, again, we would call it ham. It's kind of like the ham you might expect to see on an Eggs Benedict. Or something. Okay, okay. And that bacon usually... um, Now, I think it's probably also true that it was the 60s and probably people preferred that a bit more on... Like, to call it rare is weird, but, like, on the rare side. Yeah, no, I prefer prefer all, like, bacon stuff to be much more cooked than that. I like it crunchy, and I know that's not everyone's thing, but, like... So it looked undercooked to me. That was my main thing. Yeah. Um, So he gets his breakfast. Um, I think the servant is there, like, preparing it. And Mm -hmm. um, what we learn is that number two has also been assigned to this village to specifically figure out why number six has resigned from whatever kind of thing he was doing. Um, Okay. So that that is the reason why... Six has been imprisoned, is that he refuses to say why he resigned from whatever outfit he was working for. Um, that seems like a not a good reason. It's a weird <laughs> reason, because I'm like, but he wrote a letter of resignation. It's weird that... And is he not allowed to quit? Well, is that, like, against the rules? I think he is. I, I would imagine he's allowed to quit, but... Um, I don't know why this, like, if, if he does work for some kind of an intelligence agency and they sent him on a mission, and then in the context of this mission, he decides to resign, I'm like, then you should know the particulars that perhaps would lead to his resignation, even if he chooses not to specifically say, like, this was the reason. Mm-hmm. You would have information yeah. about his assignment such that you could probably right. figure it out. Like, I don't know. Right. Um, but anyway, that's the point. That um, <laughs> until he tells them why he resigns, he's going to be staying here indefinitely. Um, just to show kind of the power of whatever group has imprisoned him, they also show, like, pictures of him since his childhood, that they've been, like, collecting (laughs) that's really creepy yeah well that I mean because it's one thing I'm like it would be one thing if as soon as I join some sort of um 
not even an intelligence group, but let's say you started off being some sort of government worker um, or military person or whatever. And then you, so you start like in the army, for example, and then because you're so Mm -hmm. good at something, you get tapped on the shoulder and they're like, we want to use you for this like covert situation. Like it Mm -hmm. makes sense to me that as soon as you start in government service, there would be records of you, photos of you, information kept about you, and so on and so forth. Um, right. But the idea that, like, we've been watching you since you were two, I'm like, whoa, that seems very strange. That's egregious. <laughs> like, you didn't, I, didn't, I didn't even know I was going to be working for you guys when I was two. Like, Yeah, um, I, and I wasn't. I am literally a baby. <laughs> so, again, that might be something that is like elaborated upon later in the show. Um, but we don't know. But basically the, I think the point is, is that two is trying to make six know that like our power is quite comprehensive and you do well to just give us what we want. Um, yeah. Then two takes six on a tour of the village, uh, which is weird because it involves a helicopter, but I don't know why you need a helicopter to just hover over a place that's like maybe... <laughs> that's like, like a square three miles or something. At most. At most. Like, um, because <laughs> like, I'm like, I think if you walked from like one end of that village to another, it wouldn't be more than 15 minutes. Like... Um, didn't really seem like it because I feel like he walked the whole way like 10 minutes before. Yeah, so he goes on this um, little tour. Um, and I think the main point here, like so, and then in the context of this, he's like being introduced to different people around town. Um, and so I think for us as the audience and also for Six, it's like there are other people who are presumably imprisoned here for different mm-hmm. reasons, but have, are, have it's also been determined that they can't, like, be in the normal population. Um, yeah. Then there's this very weird scene where, like, Six has just been walking around by himself, and he gets into what I'm calling, like, the town green. And mm-hmm. Two is there, and everyone else in town seems to be walking around as well. And then Two has, like, a big bullhorn and he tells everyone to freeze uh for a second i don't know why um but then there's one guy who sort of freaks out and starts running around Mm -hmm. he can't be still and what happens to him uh oh yeah well I I might have like missed it at this point, but there was like a big balloon mm-hmm. comes, and I you wrote here that the balloon attacks him. I guess that is what happened. It's very weird. Yeah. So this is again maybe something that gets further explained in later episodes. Um, but there is this large size human size white balloon <laughs> that recurs throughout the episode that just sort of yeah bounces around menacingly um <laughs> yeah and in this case 
it bounces and it bounces closer to this guy who's freaking out. And then it sort of like consumes him. It smothers him. Yeah. yeah. And then I don't know if he dies didn't like that. or what, but like it, I think. I feel like I didn't, at this point I didn't notice it, but it happens again and like not, it's not, not to spoil anything, but I remember being like, I said out loud, like, why is he being a, why is that balloon yeah. <laughs> like attacking him? Correct. Um, and I think, I think the way we're meant to read this is that two has maybe orchestrated this whole thing to mm-hmm. tell six, like, you're not getting out of here. Like, yeah. you know, and like. Like, this is what will happen to yeah, you. Yeah, and like, you got to be knowing about this scary balloon thing. Um, <laughs> which. Is the balloon like the enforcer? Like, it, the balloon know. is like the prison warden? It does Or seem, the prison guard? <laughs> well, because when, when it appears later, it does seem like maybe it sort of like guards the perimeter the perimeter, yeah. Yeah. Um, mm. Or is used mm-hmm. as some sort of disciplinary action mm. in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, then two brings six to the town labor exchange, um, which is meant to like kind of provide him a job um, where when they go into the office on the on the walls... There are signs that say things like a still tongue makes a happy life and Yuck. questions are a burden to others, answers a prison for oneself. Um, Whoa. Wait, I do b- agree with the first half of that. <laughs> questions are a burden to others. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Is that not right? I feel like that's uh, true. I mean... I suppose it depends on the question, but I certainly do sometimes feel <laughs> burdened by people's questions, so probably. Oh, my God. A million percent. <laughs> um, but it, then the other half answers are a prison for oneself. Um, That's a, that, that I'm not so sure about. Um, yeah, I don't know if I even know quite what that means. No, I mean, again, some of this stuff might end up being revealed later, but like, this mm-hmm. is where, like, a lot of this stuff, I don't, maybe people who did The Good Place did watch this. There, there are just elements of hey, it maybe. that I think are, like, weirdly similar. Um, mm-hmm. Like, even just things like the way they set up the look of this village, the way that like everything has a little sign next to it that says like labor exchange, hotel, like whatever. And that it's all the same font, you know, like, yeah. And all this stuff, Mm. there are like little interesting touches where I was like, I could swear somebody involved. I wonder if like in the good place and specifically when the good place is in the, like their little village, original village. Yeah, um, I was like, this just has such a feel of that where it's like, there's there's stuff here where you're like, wait, what does that mean? Like, and just like things yeah. are like seemingly idyllic, but also the like little touches, a little bit off or a little bit strange. Yeah, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, needless to say, Six isn't happy about being brought to the labor exchange and he storms out after breaking somebody's like measuring device. 
Um, <laughs> which looked like, what were those things? Um, was it Tinker Toys? You remember those toys where it was like a bunch of multicolored weird sticks that you would like put into like those circular like wooden circles that you could like make spokes around. Do you know, remember what I'm talking about? Whoa. I I mean, I know what I'm, I can picture what it, you're talking about in this show. I can't really picture. Oh. I'm thinking of, I was thinking of Jack's. No, I feel like look up he, Tinker Toys. Oh, okay, okay. I don't think I ever played with those, but yes, yes, yes. So he, there's something in, when he's getting tested, there's some kind of weird machinery or element that looks like this, but like mm-hmm. slightly larger and fancier kind of, and he like smashes yeah. it with his hand and storms out. And so yet again, <laughs> one of my true dreams. God, he does, <laughs> I mean, he is like, king of storming out and it just really is great and like I, I know we've talked about it a million times but like I really really just do dream of a day when a storm where out I can could happen. like when a storm out is appropriate and like I can really feel vindicated in it yes. and I can yeah. really and you, just and like so like that you'll never have even an ounce of like guilt or shame about it later that you're like that was the yeah, right there's thing no- to do and I did it. There, there was no other choice in that situation but to storm <laughs> out. Yeah. That's what I want. That's what I want it to be. Because I would very quickly fall into like a concern. A, a spiral yeah. in my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of like, ooh, was that inappropriate? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So but he he is very righteous in his anger. Um yeah, yeah. when he returns to his home, a maid has shown up. And so this is another thing. It seems like in this prison land, everyone gets a maid or a servant or something. And not that I'm like comfortable with having a servant, but I would, I'd be open to trying it for a little while <laughs> to see. <laughs> um, here's what I'll tell you. I don't know if it's controversial to say this. I feel like it's pretty like, it it would be good. <laughs> now, is it is it is it correct? Is it moral? Is it nice? No. But is it but is it good? Like would I <laughs> benefit it from it? Sure. <laughs> would it feel like yeah, exactly. Like I mean Yeah, it's I think anybody, the word servant isn't great. If you could make it, and which I guess is kind of what we've done in society now, where like we still do have people working jobs that are servants, but we say different words to make us feel better about that. Yeah, like housekeeper, housekeeper, cleaning lady, you know, um, nanny, whatever. Um, Yeah. But those people are serving you in some capacity yes. or another. And I do feel like I could for sure get on board with, like, a cleaning person because it, they're not – and if there's, like, a specific task, I do feel like it, if, like, someone's, like, making your food and, like, living there or, like, always there at every beck and call. Yeah, that, that could get weird. weird to me. yeah. But if it was someone who was like, they come in three times a week to clean. 
I feel like I could get on board with that. <laughs> yeah, three times a week. I even only clean my place once a week, and it hardly. That's a lot. That's a lot. I don't know what I'm talking that, about. I, like, um, <laughs> that's a lot. That is a lot. You're right. But I, I and pl- mine could probably use three times a week, <laughs> like at the beginning. But the, <laughs> once it but got back could, to like, normalized, then it would just be once one. it got back to like. Yeah, then I could, like, maybe upkeep it for a little longer. Um, yeah, no, I, like like I said, I'd be open to trying it to see what I thought. <laughs> it, but I, I was... Spoiler alert, I think you would like it. Well, but then at the same time, even as you were describing it, I was like, okay, so I cleaned my apartment yesterday. It took an hour and 15 minutes. And, yeah, I suppose that I would be fine surrendering to someone else. And I don't think I'd be the sort of person, which there are people like this who are like, my cleaning person doesn't do a good enough job. So then, like, I clean again or I clean before they arrive. Oh, hell do they know. know. Like, that um, isn't. That I might do a little just because I might be embarrassed about, like, I wouldn't how dirty be something like was. that. But, like, yeah. I was like, oh, but my friends who have had cleaning people, usually, like, the expectation is you leave the house while they do it. Well, here, and then I was like, but yesterday, if someone had told me to leave my home, I would have been like really fucking irritated fuck because you. it was like cold and no. miserable. And what am I going to, what am I to do for an hour and 15 minutes? Like, no, I, w- I will say like the actual logistics of someone being in your house or like even worse if they're a live in thing. Right. As, as the, the person that I am, even if that, other person were serving me I don't think I would like it yeah so anyway he's now acquired this maid um and tells her to leave (laughs) so uh (laughs) she does he's a little rude to her but oh he's more than a little rude um this is again going back to this like kind of 60s-ness of it all uh his the place that he lives where we've only seen the living room a wall um like lifts up and to reveal his bedroom and bathroom and kitchen um which all in my handwritten notes I was like pretty nice setup it does look like a pretty good apartment yeah um it does but he kind of freaks out and destroys his radio um he looks around his house and somehow this sends him into a rage where he destroys his radio. Um, it also seems like the radio is like some sort of interlink across the village. Like everyone has one and it like broadcasts mm-hmm. things throughout the day. Um, so that I guess is a bit prisonish, right? Like I guess it would be similar to... If I mean, and I imagine prisons have this like a speaker system or a sound system where it's like, yeah, wake up at right. this time, do this thing. Um, mm-hmm. For whatever reason, and I'm not entirely sure why, uh, the maid returns, and Six then starts to see this as an opportunity to ask her a lot of questions about like where they are and what's going on. Um, she starts to kind of cry and say she doesn't really know anything, but what she can tell him is that no one's ever been able to escape. Um, and so I guess what she's trying to imply is that she's also some kind of a prisoner and being kept there. 
for some yeah. reason. And hers is yeah, and she has like you're a prisoner and a maid. All Double one. Worst. Like I'd be gross. Pissed. Yeah. Like how can I get really like if I am to be a prisoner in this weird prison, I want to be the prisoner who has a servant, not a prisoner who is Correct. A servant. Oh my god. <laughs> like it's like not even because from that would actually I think being a servant to other prisoners in Go. this weird prison that's also a random town that's like worse to me than like torture <laughs> it is torture like that that, that is horrible good. no um so she's crying she wants his help it's unclear what this help would be precisely um but he tells her to leave meanwhile mm-hmm. back at Two's compound or like observation room or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Two watches this interaction and we realize that the maid was sent in as a ploy um, mm. to try and get six to reveal information. Admit something? Yeah. Um, mm. And basically, kind of it seems like what they're aiming for is that they're going to try and send these various women at him. And because Mm -hmm. they're women, that they can, you know, engender some feelings of vulnerability and concern for them. Mm -hmm. And that, or maybe Mm -hmm. even have some sort of a love connection. And that will make trick him yeah make him sloppy and he'll say or do something that they want um this does not work in the case of the maid and two is like you can almost see him sort of like rubbing his hands and being like this is exciting because now he's actually rather more of a challenge than i realized (laughs) you know and he's like how do i get this man to crack um meanwhile six um Tries his first attempt at escape. Um, this is where he's running around, like, kind of the outskirts of the, the village. Beach. Yeah, on the beach. And yeah. it's when the different, like, statues around the outside of the village, you can see that their eyes are like little cameras. Moving. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which I did like, I'll be honest. I was like, that's, yeah, that's pretty cool. funny. Um, yeah. So... He's being watched through the statues. We see number two. And then now number two is in this other room, kind of like an observation room or something, um, where many different people are involved in, like, working at computers and working at switchboards and things. Um, Mm -hmm. Eventually, though, he runs out onto the beach and gets chased by the white balloon, um, (laughs) which attacks him. And then... He wakes up in the hospital, and when he wakes up in the hospital, he realizes in the bed in the same ward as him is a friend of his from the outside called Cobb. Um, mm-hmm. Cobb reveals that he's not sure how long he's been in this village or at the hospital, and... How strange. Yeah, and then the doctor comes in and says that he needs to run some tests 
on six, which he does. Um, mm-hmm. Again, it's like a super automated, like everything's done by computer sort of situation, very late 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, the tests reveal that everything's fine. This is where um, he loses his outside clothes. Is he's in a like okay, in okay. a hospital gown, and then when he comes mm-hmm. back, he's like, "Well, can I leave? And where's my stuff?" They're like, "Oh, we burnt your stuff." <laughs> um, Jesus. Unfortunately, however, while Six and the doctor were in the other room, Cobb has apparently woken up enough to jump out of the window to commit suicide. Um, Yikes. Yes, quite serious. Um, Mm -hmm. Six is then released back into the village um, and ends up back at number two's house, but now there is a new number two. It's a different guy. (laughs) Um, I may have been confused. Maybe wasn't like watching closely enough at this point where I realized that was supposed to be the same person. (laughs) I mean, it's not supposed to be the same person. It's supposed to be the same, like he's doing the same function. The same character. But it's a different guy. And you're supposed to know that. Even though they look quite alike. Okay. Um, Okay. And so he's replaced the previous number two and now he's again asking six why you like why have you resigned um which he doesn't reveal this is also when six realizes he's being called number six um rather than something else because he's also like when he leaves the hospital he's issued all of these like kind of like village related id cards and things and it's all just (laughs) got six on it um six then Leaves Chu's house to find Cobb's funeral procession, um, where the woman, the titular, the woman, um, is following the kind of um, uh, procession and crying. So Six follows her down to the beach. They've got a cemetery down at the beach. He mm-hmm. asks the woman why she's crying. She says she can't really talk about it right now. And so then they meet slightly later in the day at this very weird, like, band concert that's happening. Um, And she reveals to Six that she and Cobb had found a way to escape. Um, And then basically it sounds like... I don't know that there's really any convincing being done, but like six is like, well, I'll give me whatever you've got and you and I will escape. Um, Mm. And she's like, okay, that sounds good. Um, They, oh, right, right, right. Then um, when they attempt their escape, she comes down to the beach And Six asks her why he had seen her talking to number two. She's basically Mm -hmm. like, don't worry about it. Um, But for whatever reason, um, he doesn't trust her, which I suppose is true because um, she (laughs) has been working with two. 
this whole time. This is just yeah. another way of like, how can we like get this guy to crack by using his like um, affinity for women or whatever. Um, yeah. Meanwhile, Six has gotten into the helicopter and tries to fly away. Um, but because there are these like, I don't really know how to, con- as you can see, I didn't know what to call them, like observers or controllers or whatever. But there are people in this observation room control room with two and they're able to control the helicopter remotely so six is basically forced back to the ground um and the white balloon sort of chases him back into the village and the last little bit of the show is that we it's revealed that Cobb, along with the woman, were working with two. Um, and the whole purpose was to try and kind of get Six to settle into his new life in the village. Mm. Um, and Cobb is not dead. He didn't actually commit suicide. He is now allowed to return to the outside world. Um, oh, Oh, interesting. Yeah. And I think he even his like parting line is something like, you're going to have a hard time with this one or Oof. something. Um, oh, yikes. So, and that's it. That's the show. Oof. Uh, <laughs> um, so that is the show. Very weird. Um, mm. Very weird. Okay. So let's just go to yawns and eye rolls. With yawns. Okay. One yawn is... Uh, this was the fast-paced kind of drama that I need and kept my attention. Um, and Tenyon's is like, I've never found anything to be less engaging. What would you give it? <laughs> I would say, like, it, it was engaging. It wasn't long. It's, it's fine. It's... Is it, like, the most engaging thing in the world? No. So I think I would probably put it, or like, two to three. Yeah, I I guess I would say a three for me because even though I was engaged in whatever was happening, it did feel rather slow-moving. Like, um... Yeah, and not a whole bunch happens. No, this is one of down. our shortest like, outlines ever. Um, yeah. Like not a lot of yeah. Because it is a lot of watching him walk around. A lot of confusion. Yeah, like watching, a lot of like, where am I? Yeah, like watching, not pantomime, but like watching, si- like n- no talking, like and seemingly not yeah. really. A lot plot of discovery, like a lot of yeah. just like, yeah, yeah. So, and then in terms of eye rolls. One eye roll is I yeah I totally bought in to the world building of this, <laughs> and ten eye rolls is like I have no idea what I just saw. What would you give? Interesting it? because that's inter- That's an interesting scale because I feel <laughs> like I could really be on either end of that. Like I, I. I did buy the world. At the same time, I don't know that I understood the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was, it definitely took me a bit to be like, wait, what are we doing here? Um, hmm. 
That's a tough one. I really, I guess I'll say five because I really could be like at either end of that spectrum. Yeah. I did buy into it. I liked the, I liked the idea of it. I do feel like though I obviously don't have a huge scope of knowledge. I do feel like this is relatively creative. Yeah. Maybe not yeah. done as much as some other concepts. Um, so yeah, I think I'd say five in the middle for me. Yeah. I think I agree with you because, um, yeah, I, f- I understand what you mean, which is like, even though this show is, let's see, like 56 years old or something, um, it was still really puzzling, like even now. Like, um, and the fact that something that's been around, and I think clearly like from what we've said, quite influential to a number of other things, the fact that we could go back to kind of like the original inspiration for a lot of these other things and watch it and still be like, what did I just see? Um, I think really speaks highly to, if not the world building as such, like the kind of the, the high concept aspect of what was going on here. So I guess I agree with you with a five. Um, and so finally, did you like this? And would you recommend it? Um, I did like it. I did. I liked it. Um, it was it was enjoyable. Um, would I recommend it? I don't. I don't know. Like, I watched this episode on YouTube. You sent me yeah. a link. I don't know if that's like where it all lives or if it's on a streaming thing. I'm not sure. But I mean, Australia and the U.S. are different in terms of, like, what is accessible yeah. where. So I I couldn't be sure. Yeah. I don't know that I would ever tell anybody to, like, go out of their way to watch this. <laughs> <laughs> if if perhaps, like, we discovered, like, if they're a super big Austin Powers fan, sure. maybe. I would say, like, this might be fun. You might get a kick out of this. But, like, overall, I don't think it would be, like, a blanket across the board recommend. Yeah. But I still liked it fine. Yeah. No, I liked this as well. Um, And I guess, yeah, similar, I might do a light recommend. Um, I don't, (laughs) I don't think, for example, I would recommend watching the whole series unless it really, like, really captivated you somehow. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, cause I, I mean, I'd be curious. I mean, I thought this was interesting. I don't think I would ever go back. Like, I thought this was interesting enough to, if it were easily accessible, that's the key. If it were easily accessible, it is a key. I might see myself going back to watch another episode or two in the hopes of trying to understand something slightly more. Yeah. And see if maybe it got more exciting even, or if like there's some intrigue and he like really does like he really like messes up the status quo right right prison village or even just to see like I might even see myself doing kind of like the occasional check-in of like okay so I watched the pilot maybe I'll watch like episode Mm -hmm. seven and then like episode Mm -hmm. 13 and then the last one you know like just like Yeah, yeah yeah um to see what they were able to do what are the touch points? And also, yeah. and I would do that out of the same kind of curiosity as inspired by things like The Good Place, which is like, The Good Place kept going, 
and found ways to do that. This was only ever conceptualized as meant to be like, you know, this limited series thing. Um, yeah. What do I think of, like, do I think that's a better model? You know, like whatever. Like I'd be yeah. interested in, to, in seeing like the construction of that. Um, but like on a granular level of like, would I really want to watch 17 hours of this? I'm not so sure about yeah. that. Um, so I guess everyone, if you can access this show, certainly have a look because it is interesting. Um, but maybe don't go too far down the rabbit hole unless it really speaks to you <laughs> as a concept. Um, and that is it from us. Thank you everyone for listening. I am Sarah and I'm here with Amy and we will see you next week in space. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of See You Next Week in Space. This is a production by Amy and Sarah Walsh with artwork provided by Riley Brown. If you'd like to learn more about our show, please check us out at seeyounextweekinspace.com or follow us on Instagram at seeyounextweekinspace. Until the next one.